Amen. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good to see all of you guys here. If we could get the middle lights on, that'd be great so people can see. There we go. Awesome. Well, good to have all of you here this morning. If you're here with us for the first time, uh, thank you for being here. Randy, we note your attendance this morning. Amen. All right. Matthew 24 in your Bibles is where we're going to be. So if you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and open it to Matthew 24. Verses 15 through 28 is where we're going to be this morning. I'm so thankful that you are all with us this morning, that we get this moment of time from God to worship Him and to know Him more. And we're continuing our end time series, which is the return of Christ and the life to come. And so as we continue that series, we're in the Olivet Discourse and continuing what we started last week, where Jesus is telling us about the end times and his second coming. So we're going to read the text of scripture together, Matthew 24, verses 15 through 28. So starting in verse 15. So then when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let the one who is in the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. But let the one who is in the field not turn back and take his cloak. For alas, women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not has been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be again. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders. So as to lead astray, if possible, the elect. See that I have told you beforehand. So if they say, look, there he is in the wilderness, do not go out. And if they say, look, he is there in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes down from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Praise God for the reading and the hearing of his word. Let's pray and dig in. Father, thank you for your amazing grace and mercy. Lord, you're so good to us. In so many ways, you are good to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for people coming out to hear your word, God. Everyone here is here right on time. You have a plan. You have a purpose for every single person. So God, we pray that you would reveal yourself, who you are, and your son, Jesus Christ, to every heart and every mind. God, save people who are lost in sin. Lord, build people up who know Christ. And Lord, do all of this by the power of the Holy Spirit. Guide us now as we look into end times. This is a topic that is massively uh, large and confusing and difficult and passionate. Lord, give us grace to understand your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're in the sermon series, The Return of Christ and the Life to Come, and we're also having communion today. So this is a, a huge, wonderful day. Communion Sundays are my favorite Sundays 
because we as believers get this beautiful, precious time with Jesus at the end of service. So we're going to streamline some of this message. Last week, we talked about the five signs of the times, okay, that, that Jesus gave to us right away in, in Matthew 24, the five signs of the end times. And you can see those that we reviewed last week. False messiahs are going to come. Accurate prophecies will be there. Wars and natural disasters. Increased suffering amongst the church and the spreading of the gospel all over the world. Those are five signs of the times that will lead to the second coming of Christ and the end of the age. Now, we're going to get four more of those signs this morning. And I I thought of this as as I was thinking through this message. Because end times as a topic is very intimidating. I'm going to say words that you may have never heard in your life until this moment, such as abomination of desolation. Some of you are going to hear that word and you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about, pastor. Speak English. Some of you are going to hear the word tribulation, great tribulation. You're going to wonder, what's that all about? Okay, here's the best way I can illustrate it. 21 years ago, I spent a week in England, all right, London, and the beautiful areas of England. We traveled all around. Land. Land is good, right? Land is good. We're on the land. We're walking around, doing bus stops, doing all these things. Then we had to cross the English Channel, and we had to go to France. And my, my leader of this trip was like, hey, no big deal. They have these things called hovercrafts. <laughs> oh, great. Hovercraft. Cool. 21 years ago, I go right into Marty McFly mode. I start thinking back to the future. Like, dude, a hovercraft? We're going to fly on DeLoreans across the English Channel? So we get into this hovercraft. It's massive. I mean, massive. 60 people in this hovercraft. And the, the British person, always so polite. You just love listening to English speakers, don't you? Okay, now we're just going to go across the English Channel. It's going to be a quick little trip and going to have a lot of fun and it's going to be good. And welcome to this hovercraft 692,000, whatever. Like, okay. And off we go, right? And it is just these little windows. And all, we hit a rough day on the English Channel. Starts out okay, but then all of a sudden it is like, shoom, shoom. And we are launching off of waves everybody's being jostled around and everybody's like, I hate my life. Are we going to die? What's happening? And so we're going over and over and all we can see on the outside is just wave after wave hitting the window. I mean, you can't see anything. That trip took less than 45 minutes. It felt like 16 hours. People started throwing up in there which you could imagine added to the smell experience. And I'm just like, oh, don't throw up. Don't throw up. Just look at the floor, Josh. Look at the floor. Be a man. Don't throw up. (laughs) We pull in, and I'm telling you, we could not have gotten out of there fast enough. We get out of this hovercraft. People are puking on on the way down. They're throwing up all over the cement below. It was one of the most turbulent experiences of my life 21 years ago. And I think it illustrates the end times in a Christian's experience, right? We're on England side. 
of the Christian life, we like steadiness. We like no waves. We like just our routine in life, right? But we know we got to go to France at some point. We got to get to heaven at some point. And the end times is just the hovercraft trip. That is really the reality. And we don't know how long we're going to be in the hovercraft. We're hoping that the owner of the hovercraft will rapture us out of the, of the area that we're sitting in during the flight, right? Or during the trip. And I, I just want to lay that out because as we're talking about end times things, these are cataclysmic events. These are not fun things to talk about. These are not enjoyable rainbows and butterflies and feel-good Christian themes in your life. This is the reality of what's coming. And at the end of that, we'll be in France, otherwise known as heaven. Amen? France is not heaven. Don't make that, don't, don't make that practical application. That's not what I'm saying. So this passage is much more controversial than last week's. Because we're talking about the abomination of desolation. We're talking about the tribulation. There's lots of Christians that differ in their views of how this is all going down or going to go down in the future. So you remember how I said part of prophecy is giving space? This is a sermon where you need to give space. You need to give a little wiggle room to your system because you might think I'm not going through any of the tribulations. So therefore I'm right and everybody else is wrong. But some of you might be mid-tribulational people or post-tribulational people where you're going to go through some things and then the rapture is going to happen. And, and some of you are like, well, yeah, I, we don't want fist fights, all right, in the, uh, the hallway out here. That's not what we want. Like, you got to give some grace, give some room with your end time system because your view of the tribulation, it might be right, it might be wrong. I'll get to that a little bit later. But you need to give grace as we look at these next four signs that Jesus gives of the times and his second coming. So the big idea is the same as last week. Jesus wants believers to be aware of the signs, be aware, and stay on the path with Jesus. Okay? Stay on the path. Be aware of what's going on. Stay on the path. Satan has one job. He has one goal to get you and I off the path, arguing about things that don't matter, spending our lives on things that don't matter. And ultimately what we need to do is say no to all the stuff, stay on the path with Christ, be aware that the end times are coming and some of the end time signs are here with us right now. Okay? And just stay aware, stay with Jesus. Amen? All right. So we're going to look at four more signs of the end times in Christ's second coming. Sign number one is probably the hardest one to understand, and it's the longest point that I have this morning. So bear with me as we go through it. Sign number one is the trigger, okay? The trigger, verses 15 through 20. Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. So Jesus is going to say that the ultimate trigger for the tribulation and his return is called the abomination of desolation. What in the world is that? What is the abomination of desolation? In short, it is a very bad event led by a very bad person. Okay? It's a very bad event led by a very bad person in the future. Jesus says, when you see implying that he's talking about a future event. Now, 
the disciples, as they're listening to Jesus, they would have a past event in their mind that they would bear up underneath his illustration with. And that is the example of a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes. All right, let's put a picture up of him. Some of you have heard of this guy. Some of you have no idea, and you're going to get your first lesson on who this guy is. The disciples would have heard about this guy. Okay, in 167 BC, Antiochus Epiphanes is a Greek king who comes in and he takes over the temple. And what he does in that moment is he desecrates the temple. He's abominable. He takes a pig, which according to Jewish law is unclean. According to Iowa law, it's give me more, right? So according to Jewish law, that's a bad thing. You take a pig and he takes it into the Holy of Holies and he desecrates the temple. All right, there is historical precedent that Antiochus Epiphanes also went to the Jewish priests and they stuffed pork down their throats. That's not very nice, right? Again, in Iowa, we would have been like, yes, bacon, bring it on. We want more. And he would have been like, no, this is not having the effect I was hoping for. But back, back then, to Jew, that was, a, that was the worst thing you could have ever done, right, to a Jewish priest. And also what he did was he took a statue of Zeus. You guys heard of Zeus before? And he took a statue of Zeus and he put it right smack dab on the Holy of Holies and said, worship Zeus, don't worship the God of the Bible, okay? So the disciples would have that in their mind. They'd have this example in their mind. As Jesus says, there's going to be an abomination of desolation that's going to happen in the future. And they would have been like, okay, much like Antiochus Epiphanes. But Jesus said it's in the future. So it can't be this, this event. It has to be something in the future. So ultimately what happens here is that Jesus says you need to understand the prophet Daniel. Okay, the prophet Daniel. Now he's referring to Daniel 9 verses 24 through 27. Here's an aside. If you are a Christian and you want to understand the end times, I'm going to say a 100% word here. You must read Daniel. You must. If you are building your end times theology off of only the New Testament, you are really, really short on your theology of, of end times. You need to read Daniel, and I would suggest chapters 9 through 12. You're going to read, need to read it over and over and over again because it will be confusing as heck to you. You'll be like, what in the world? I got to read that again. Yes, you do. Read it again and again and again. And read Daniel. You got to understand Daniel if you're going to understand the end times. Now, this is the text. Daniel 9, 24 through 27. This is what Jesus is referring to. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and about your holy city. To finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. That's good. Sounds good. Like here's the, here's the end of everything right here. Verse 24, 70 weeks. Okay. Know therefore and understand that the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, it'll be built again, squares and moat, but in a troubled time. Okay, now verse 26, after this 62 weeks, you have an anointed one who shall be cut off and left alone. That's Jesus. Okay, that's his death and resurrection. 
And then after that, the people of the prince who will come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and it'll come to end with a flood, and there will be war, and desolations are decreed. Now, verse 27, very key here. And then there will be one, he who makes a covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing, here it is, this is where Jesus is referring to, on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. I told you, you're going to need to read this a few times. All right, can I get an amen, a witness? All right, you're going to read it a few times. Now, I'm going to give you the real, like, Cliff Notes version. What Daniel is saying in Daniel 9 is that there's going to be 70 weeks. 70 weeks does not mean actual physical weeks. 70 weeks is... is prophetic, all right? It means that every day equals one year, okay? So seven weeks is seven sets of one-year increments. Now, he's going to say there's seven weeks, and that's 49 years, right, if I'm doing my math right. And then there's 62 weeks after that. And at the end of that 62 weeks, there's going to be this anointed one, this Messiah who comes. And this Messiah is going to be killed. Now, let's just start with the first 69 weeks. Daniel is saying, 490 years, here's what's going to happen. The Messiah is going to come at the end of the 69th week, and he's going to be crucified. This is how crazy accurate Daniel is. 490 years from the time he prophesied from week one to week 69 is the exact time from the time that they were decreed to go rebuild the Jerusalem temple in the Old Testament Till the time of Jesus' life and ministry. Crazy. Absolutely nuts that Daniel would prophesy that specifically. Then he said at the end of the 69th week, the Messiah will be killed, right? And then in the 70th week, there will be some new leader who, who, who makes this covenant. In the 70th week, he'll make an agreement. Now again, I'm moving through this because I can see the glaze coming over in your eyes. I can see it. Hang with me. Hang with me, okay? In the 70th week, there'll be two halves of that week. The first three and a half years will be a really good peace agreement. There will be this leader that rises up and he takes over the entire world. And he's a really big friend of Israel. So he's going to sign a peace treaty with Israel. Three and a half years, everybody's going to be like, this guy's amazing. And he loves Israel. Three and a half years in, the abomination of desolation is going to happen. And that's going to be the trigger for everything else. Okay, so just put that in your notes, put it in your mind, do some extra reading. The reality is that Antichrist will have this massive flow of momentum and then he will do something. I'm not exactly sure what it is because I haven't wrapped my own mind around it totally. He's going to do something to desecrate the temple grounds in such a way that will trigger great tribulation and the wrath of God falling on humanity. Jesus says... If you're alive during that time, you have one job. Run away, verses 16 through 20. Run as fast as you can. Get to the hills. Get to the caves. You need protection during that time. So if you're a Jew or a believing Christian at that moment and you're alive on the earth, run. It reminds us of uh, Lot and his wife when Sodom and Gomorrah, that judgment was about to fall. Do you remember the instruction of the angel of the Lord? Run. Right? Don't look back. If you look back, you're going to become a what class? Pillar of salt, right? So Lot barely made it out and his wife 
She looked back. Okay? It's going to be the same type of instruction when the abomination of desolation happens. And we don't know when exactly this will be, but people are to run. They are to run because the great tribulation is coming. Now, in the midst of this, we have the first sign. That's the trigger, right? That's the trigger of the end of the age and the second coming. The second one is the great tribulation. This is verses 21 and 22. Verses 21 and 22, then there will be a great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning until now and never will be again. And if those days had not been cut short, I suppose no human would even be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. So following the abomination of desolation, the wrath of God will be poured out. And Jesus describes this wrath as great tribulation. Well, what's that all about? What's great tribulation? The word tribulation means this. It means an intense crushing. It means pressing together, squashing, compressing. It's not good. It's not good. Humanity will be pressed into the judgment of Almighty God. Now, if you're reading Paul and Jesus, 1 Thessalonians 4, and you're reading this passage, I would say so far what we've read would lead you to to believe in a pre-tribulational rapture or a mid-tribulational rapture. One of those two, right? Either we're getting out of here before all the crazy happens, amen? Right, that, that's a good position. Or we're, we're here until right in the middle of the tribulation where the abomination happens and then, then we believe Jesus is going to take us back before all the crazy tribulation really pours out from Revelation 6 through 19. Here's the thing. I don't know exactly when. Our church's position is a pre-tribulational rapture. Okay? But everybody in their heart of hearts, every Christian I've ever met, wants to be a pre-tribulational rapture guy. So bad, right? Like everybody's like, get me out of here before all that stuff happens. Can I get an amen? amen. A hearty amen. All right. But we just don't know. I mean, we don't know that we know that we know 100% because like if we have to go through some things before the rapture, we'll all be looking at each other and like, where's that pre-tribulational guy? I'm going to come and I'm going to wipe, wipe him off the earth, right? Regardless of the position of the tribulation, Jesus says it's going to be a mega suffering season for the earth. And here's what I'm saying. He says... That it is going to be so intense that the world has never seen this intensity of tribulation or of calamity. And it never will, and it never will see it again. Like there is going to be a uniqueness to this tribulation that is going to be so crazy that Jesus says, I suppose if God doesn't intervene and cut the day short, no human would be saved. Think about that for a moment. This tribulation is going to be so cataclysmic, so devastating, so violent, so nuts, that if God doesn't intervene with Jesus coming and saving this whole thing, there won't be one human left on the earth. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be around during that time. Amen? So what does this look like? Well, I think we know what it's not. All right, if you can put up that picture of Rome sacking Jerusalem, a lot of people think that this is the abomination of desolation and the great tribulation all wrapped in one, AD 70. There's some Christians who say this has already happened right here. Here's the problem I have with that position. The problem I have with that position is not that it wasn't terrible and not that it didn't take the temple totally down 
And not that it wasn't a bunch of Gentiles doing it. I don't have any problem with that. The problem I have with that position is that it doesn't fit with what Jesus said in verse 21 and 22. That is not the worst thing that's ever happened on the earth. Can I get a witness? You can look at since, since that day. We're talking about World War II, Nazi Germany, six million people being exterminated because they're Jewish. I'm, that's worse than AD 70, okay? It can't be this, in my mind, my opinion. But what it can be is that it, it gets our imagination going to think it's, it's going to be worse than the flood, the worldwide flood. Jesus said it'll be worse than that. It'll be worse than anything we're experiencing now. It's, it'll be worse than anything we can imagine. Revelation 6 through 19, you can read those chapters at home and you can read about the devastation coming to our earth and it will come before Jesus comes. And it is the great tribulation. Church, we need to be aware of the great tribulation and we need to stay on path with Jesus. Sign number three is more false teachers. More false teachers, verses 23 through 26, Jesus says, another sign is just false teaching. There's going to be more false teaching. And you're kind of like, Lord, if you're the disciple listening to him say that, Lord, you just talked about false teachers. We're talking about more false teachers? And Jesus is saying, yes, there's going to be more false teachers as the abomination of desolation happens. As the tribulation happens, there's going to be more false teaching in the world. How is that possible? Well, here's how it's possible. If there are wars going on, if there are volcanoes and hurricanes and earthquakes and tsunamis and you got all this other stuff and you got this antichrist figure kind of up and, and moving things around and the tribulations happening, if that's you and you're in that moment, wouldn't you be searching for someone who has a connection with God? You'd be looking for someone who has some sort of spiritual connection. What's happening here? And there will be many false teachers who will be very powerful teachers. And they will say, look, we're connected. We know what's going on. Listen to me. I'm the Christ or I'm connected to the Christ in such a way that you just need to come listen to me and pay, pay me $9.99. Three payments of $9.99 will get you healing and it'll give you eternal life. And you can have your healing right now. And I'll send you a handkerchief in the mail and all that. You know what I'm saying? Here's the thing. We have a lot of charlatan preachers in this world today that are like used car salesmen. Don't believe a word they say because they're not shepherding. They're not servant hearted. They're not in the word. They're just wanting you to send them your money. And that's it. They want to get rich off of a false message. So if you see that happening, run. These false teachers in the end times will be even more powerful, more pervasive, more majestic in their approach to the false gospel. They will be able to do great signs and wonders. You see that in verse 24? They will arise and perform great signs and wonders. They're going to be doing crazy things that will amaze your eyes. And you're going to say, how in the world could this be so wrong? They seem to have all the answers. And if it's not built off of the word of God and Jesus Christ, run for the hills. Because there will be false messiahs. You remember that 1990s, just say no to drugs campaign? Remember that one? 
As a kid, I remember that. I got a t-shirt and everything. And we went to the gym and we did this assembly. And we're just like, yeah, just say no to drugs. And we had some former drug addict at the front of the gym, like leading us all. Don't do drugs like I did. Okay, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. And we had the song. Kind of nostalgic, actually. <laughs> I was just trying to think. Wow, that was a great memory. So don't say no to drugs. Well, yes, do say no to drugs. <laughs> I'm losing this illustration. I'm just losing it. The parallel is just say no to false teachers, right? Say no. Say no. If people are telling you they're the Christ or they know where the Christ is or they know where the Messiah is and you can get salvation here, say no all the time. Amen? Say no all the time. So be aware of false teachers, more of them, and stay on path with Jesus. Sign number four is the powerful return of Christ. The powerful return. Because all this crazy end time stuff, we need some good news, right? We need some good, give me some good salvation stuff. For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. All right, Jesus calls his return lightning. That is cool. Like lightning in the sky. Let's uh, take a look at that, that lightning picture. So if you like lightning, it's, it's just majestic, isn't it? Whenever you see lightning, it's just like, whoa, power, full of light, incredible, right? And we have a lot of these storms in our state. Whenever a storm rolls through, I love to go outside and watch a storm come in. I don't know if many of you are that way. I love it. I love when I see the big wall cloud come in. I'm like, yes, get out there. Watch it come in because there's something awesome about the power of the clouds and the rain and the wind. And it's just so great. I love it. You know what I don't love? Lightning. I don't love lightning. Lightning scares me to death. Because if I am, let's say, on a golf course, <laughs> many of you are thinking of Caddyshack right now, okay? Just <laughs> careful, careful. But if I'm on a golf course and I see lightning, which has happened to me several times, I am scared to death. Get off the course. I don't want to die. Because there's always this chance, right, that your aunts, uncles, cousins, brothers, nephew got struck with lightning that one time and it's scary. So if you think about lightning, how powerful it is, how quick it is, Jesus says, my return will be like lightning, not from the north to the south. You see the north and the south? His return is going to be from the east to the west. Whoa. Here's what that means. When Jesus comes back, you won't need to search for him. So many false teachers are saying, hey, come, come to me. I can show you where the Christ is. Come to my church. I'll show you where the Christ is. Jesus says, you're not going to need to search anywhere for the Christ when he comes. Because he's going to come like lightning and the, a crazy lightning like you've never seen before from the east to west that covers every country, every people group, everywhere at the same time. And everybody's going to see the power and the grabbing nature of Jesus' return. And it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. Revelation 1.7 says, Behold, he is coming in the clouds. And listen to this. Every eye will see him. Including those who have pierced him. 
They're dead. Oh, do you remember? The resurrection's coming. Amen? Everybody who's alive and everybody who's dead in that grave is coming up to see the Son of Man return like lightning. And you know what they're going to do? All the tribes of the earth and every unbeliever is going to wail on account of him. And when I say wail, we don't mean a touchdown celebration for another Iowa Hawkeye touchdown. Amen? (laughs) We don't mean that kind of wail. We mean the kind of wail of horror and desperate cry of danger. Because the Son of Man is going to come and bring justice to the earth. So the coming of the Son of Man is going to be awesome. Now, why would Jesus finish the passage about vultures anyway? Right? You've been wondering that. You've been wondering, what's he going to do with the vultures? What's going to happen here? Well, the vultures will gather. Wherever there are corpses, there the vultures will gather. You've seen the picture of vultures, right? Hopefully, you've never seen vultures from this perspective. Amen? (laughs) Hopefully, Hopefully, you're not laying down seeing that picture. But you know, you've seen in Iowa, like a vulture or a hawk or something, you're driving down the road and you see these things circling on the road and you know something's dead. Somebody ran over something in the future and you're driving down the road. There it is. There's the dead carcass of some animal. And these, these hawks or these vultures, they're there. They're pecking away at it. They're, they're doing all the gross stuff in your mind. They're doing all that. And then you're like, I'm going to hit them. I'm going to hit these birds. They're amazingly quick, right? They get out just in time, up in the air. And then you look in your rearview mirror. They're right back down, just like laying waste to that animal, whatever. Gross. If you see vultures, you know something's dead. Something's dead. If you see vultures circling the Chicago Bears franchise, (laughs) they're dead. I've been a Bears fan for many years. They're dead, right? When you see this from Jesus, right? His return is like lightning from east to west, which implies a circle. You know it's over. It's over. Because when Christ returns... The judgment of God will fall. The justice of God will reign. The grace of God will be celebrated by believers. And that is it. Amen? Amen. That's it. And when we get into that moment, you guys, we are going to sit there and just be in awe of Jesus forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. We'll get to France. Amen? We'll get to France. So be aware of the powerful return of Jesus and stay close to him. So as we review... As we review and go into communion, four signs have been given to us this morning from Jesus. The trigger, the great tribulation, more false teachers, and Jesus' powerful return. How do you bridge that into communion anyway? Right? I mean, my goodness, we finished with vultures. How do we, how do we get to Jesus? Here's how. If you're a Christian and you know all this is coming... The blood of Christ and the life of Christ will save you from the wrath to come. You have so much to be thankful for. Because whatever the timeline is of Jesus' return, he will return at the exact right moment and save you from eternal wrath. Praise God. So you should go into communion remembering his perfect life and his death on the cross for you. And say, I'm so thankful 
the bread symbolizes the perfect life of Jesus for me. The, the, the juice represents the blood of Christ sacrificed for my sins. I believe in this. Hallelujah. It's a good thing. Be thankful and then go share it with somebody. That's how you go into communion. And if you're here and you don't know Christ yet as your Savior, this is the most terrifying set of sermons you could ever hear. Because this is all coming. And if you don't believe in Christ, if you're not saved by the blood and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you will endure the wrath to come. So stay in your seat. Don't worry about getting communion. Stay in your seat and get right with Jesus. Get saved. Those are the two options for you. I'm going to pray. We'll have 10 minutes or so of just meditation time. If there's sin you need to get right, if there's things you need to tell Jesus, do that. Go get your elements when you're ready. Come back to the chairs and then we'll be led through the communion elements together. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word. So good. So good for our soul, Lord, to hear about your grace in the midst of judgment, but to hear about your judgment for real. God, I pray for every believer who's really in Christ, genuinely saved. May they be thankful for communion. May they be thankful for their salvation. May they be thankful for their life. And Lord, if there's anybody here that's outside of Christ, not saved yet, Lord, would you really speak to their heart regarding their need to be saved from the wrath to come? And may they get saved right here, right now. May they confess you as Savior and receive you as Lord. God, do a good work during this communion time. Guide us by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen.